Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. Um, so this week, as, uh, as is often the case, I think when topics can come out of you know, current work that we're, that, uh, we're doing, um, I feel like we tend to get the best topics. And, and this week's topic, I think, comes from uh, work I'm doing currently uh, in my app Sleep++, which is a sleep tracker, where I'm working on uh, doing automatic sleep detection and sleep analysis. Um, which is a feature that I've have long been long been asked for by um, my users, um, but I've never hadn't quite quite gotten to. And so I'm for the last week or so, this is what I've been working on, and the the process so far has been pretty uh, promising. That this is something that I'm going to be able to do. Um, but I think this is an interesting topic and a broader thing to uh, to talk about in just sort of generally talking about things that are kind of feel like original research or primary research, you could call it. Um, so often when we're developing something, when we're making a, an app or a product, um, it's there, there's much of it that is is not new or novel um, in in any real sense. You know, if you're, you know, the, the process of you know taking data, putting it in a database, taking that data out, putting it in a table view, like that, there's nothing original and special there. Um, but, and, and often if you want to have something, an app that's really compelling or has a, an interesting hook to it, um, you're going to have to do things that are beyond that. And so, uh, in many ways you end up kind of doing this kind of research, you kind of inventing something in a, in a real sense uh, of the word invention. And, um, not every app has to have this certainly, but it is something that I've found that is good to have in your toolbox as something that you're not scared to try. That if you have an idea about, I wonder if I could do this kind of, you know, usually there's some kind of processing involved. Um, you know, maybe it's image processing, you're working on a camera app and you want to do some kind of image filters or an audio app and maybe you're doing some audio processing. Uh, or in my case, I'm doing, you know, I'm analyzing users, you know, movement and heart rate and, um, that kind of thing. There's usually some kind of processing involved. And um, doing this kind of research, I think, gives your app an advantage, um, both in terms of it being more useful to your customers, which is probably far more important, that you know, my goal with doing automatic sleep detection is that more people will track their sleep more often because they won't have to remember um, to start and stop the motion tracking like they do currently. Um, it'll just happen automatically, uh, which sounds great. But it also creates this nice little sort of competitive advantage that there's now this little moat around your app that anybody who wants to compete feature by feature with you now has to go through and build it uh, themselves. They have to do that research. They have to work out um, how to do it. And fair enough, it's easier the second time. You know, somebody looking at, at, at what you have done, even if they'd never see your code or understand your methodology, um, simply knowing that a, a solution exists um, with a given set of inputs is, you know, a tremendous advantage versus the number of times that I've gone down a road where I'm like, I wonder if I could, and then I spend a week and I work on something and it doesn't work out. And so I give up and that never sees the light of day. Um, it's easier knowing that a solution does exist. But it's still a competitive advantage. It's still a road that they have to go down and work that they have to have to do. So um, it's an advantage in that regard. And as I was working on my stuff, I was thinking with you about you, Marco, and how uh, voice boost and smart speed are two kind of similar types of things that weren't necessarily like your app was the first one to ever do them. But the way that you've done them and the uh, work that you did to, to you know to add those to your app is now this competitive advantage that. Um, you know, you can sort of hold over your competitors. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've said before that I I think kind of a a recipe for a a pretty good, useful app that is kind of a good balance between diving in and spending a whole bunch of time on hard stuff nobody will ever notice versus being really basic and having no competitive advantage and having no compelling features. I think a really good balance between those two is do like one or two hard things in your app. And do everything else doesn't need to be like a hard, impressive technical thing. But if you have like one or two, that can really make an app. And, you know, for Instapaper, originally that was the text parser. And then later on, I, I did like some Kindle stuff that was a little bit crazy and and like, you know, weird like things with pagination on the iPhone. Like, but that was a relatively small number of features. Ultimately, the, the great value of that app was uh, pretty boring stuff. And then, you know, the text parser was like the big one. And for Overcast, yeah, I think SmartSpeed and VoiceBoost are, are pretty significant features that are, you know, that are hard and, and you know, require some, some deep learning or, or not deep learning, <laughs> require like some deep knowledge of low-level audio manipulation and, and, and audio mastering and stuff like that to really do that well. Um, and I had to learn a lot of that stuff and it was hard. I happen to like that kind of hard work, so it was it was fun for me, and it still is fun whenever I work on it today. Uh, but that was really hard stuff. I had to learn mostly by like Google searches and trial and error of things like DSP audio processing, like how how to do that and what I'm actually manipulating with the audio signals and and how not to do it and all the different ways to do it that make it sound crappy. So I can avoid those ways and, and eventually figuring out ways to do it that sound good or that, that can't be noticed. Um, that That is all really hard work, but I've always enjoyed like that kind of like low-level data work. Um, not necessarily in the sense of like big data, but like just like working like working in low-level C functions on in performance in performance critical like large blocks of numbers and operations uh, using things like the like the accelerate functions in iOS. Like I always like that stuff, uh, but if I spent all of my time doing that in Overcast, I would be unbalanced. Like. You know, right now, like I, I'm kind of battling my in, with my self discipline. What I really want to be working on a lot of the time is the work I'm doing for Voice Boost Two, which is just regular Voice Boost, but just going to sound better and work better with more stuff. And that's all this wonderful, like low level stuff, making my own audio processing uh, functions and everything. And it's it's going to be it's it's exactly this kind of thing. But what my customers actually want is not for me to make voice boost too for the most part what my customers really want is boring stuff like everybody wants me to give them like a smart playlist that shows all their starred items that's a really boring thing that i need to do because that's what they actually want most of the app is boring stuff like that like download management and you know basic you know ui for things i still don't have a way for people to change their email address on their account because <laughs> it's like, stuff like that that's what people actually want so it's important at, when you're doing like these kind of like cool, fun, like low-level math type features or data analysis type features. It's important to make sure you also keep that balance, though, of not spending too much of your time on it. And as much as the, and this is kind of cynical, but not wasting too much time on stuff that's really hard to market to people. Like one of the one of the reasons why. A lot of people assume that Overcast invented silence skipping and dynamic processing on podcasts is because I was the first one to figure out how to market those features to people. And that, like, 
and a lot and that isn't just like you know dumping money into ads i didn't actually ever really do that uh like not until very recently have i tried that uh marketing that you know this kind of feature is about making sure people know it's there and telling them why it's so good in some way and so for these features like i gave them names that were not just like you know plain text descriptions i didn't say like shorten silences and i didn't say boost the volume or use a dynamics compressor like i that, I, I didn't name those features those things i gave them branded names i trademarked those names i put those names on everything i added features like it showed you how much time you had saved with the silence skipper feature because i i need to show people that this feature that when it's turned on they don't really notice uh, is doing something for them and all of that was to help market these features that i spent a lot of time on this low level fun stuff because otherwise nobody would know they were there and the few people who would find them and turn them on wouldn't really understand how good they are because they're both kind of like subtle effects most of the time and so they both kind of like they help you out in a subtle way but if you don't know that, if you're not being shown or told that in some compelling way, then a lot of that effort is wasted. And so it, it's very important when you're when you're planning these kind of features to make sure that A, you're not spending too much time on them to the exclusion of features that people actually need or want more. Um, and B, that you're not going to invest a ton of time into something like this that is unmarketable in some way. Like you, you have to inc- include in your planning for features like this how you're going to communicate the existence and the value of these features to your customers. Yeah, and I think what's cool is that once you've done that, like if you work out a way to communicate to your customer that you know, you do this, you do some hard work, you can find a way to communicate that to your customer. You end up with a something that is really compelling in a in a, in a weirdly insidious way that like I struggle to I feel bad if I listen to podcast type audio, like long form audio, um, without the silences removed now, because in my back of my mind, I feel like I'm wasting time. And so like, that is a (laughs) hook that you now have like placed in me that if I listen to something long form, I will find a way to turn that into a something that I can listen to, um, with something like smart speed, just because it's now that's what I expect. Because you've wrapped it up, you've wrapped up this kind of original, like, it's not original in the sense that you were the first person to come up with it, but original in the sense that you had to do a lot of hard, low-level work to make it happen. You're not just building, it's not just like, AV, you're not just doing, you know, AV player dot, um, you know, remove, remove silences equal true, like... If that was the case, then, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> like that would be great, right? But that's not the case. You had to do all of this her whole cloth development to make it work, and that now you have this great little advantage that you know. It, I, one of the things that would keep it keeps me in Overcast rather than another podcast player is that I don't want to lose the, the you know this thing that I now have, and so it's this little moat that other people could certainly build it. It's not like it's technically crazy to build uh, Smart Speed or to build build Voice Boost, but it's you know, building building an app in general is difficult, and then t- tackling one of these features, um, you know, is also kind of hard. So it's just this nice little. It's it's t- undertaking one of these. I think you're definitely right, though. Be careful that you're like taking on something that you can show. You can show. You have something to show for at the end. But if you do, and it does make sense, like it's a wonderful little 
Uh, it's a wonderful way to create value that is hard, you know, is defensible rather than, um, you know, easily, easily copied by somebody else. But it's also, it's important to also realize that like nothing is going to be yours forever. Like Overcast was the only mass market podcast player that had these features for a while, but now it isn't. And, and, you know, and it never really was the absolute only one, but it was, it was, you know, the only like really mass market one. Um, and now it's not, uh, and it's, and more of them are going to keep adding features like this. Like I had a couple good years there. It bought me some time, you know, similar to like Apple with the iPhone launch, like the original iPhone. It, and, you know, Steve famously said that it was five years ahead of the competition. And that basically proved to be true. Uh, it, that, that was, that was roughly correct. Like it took Android a long time to, to reach like a, the minimum quality that the iPhone had, you know, years earlier. And so it, you know, it buys you some time when you have something like this, but not necessarily tons of time. And it's definitely a limited amount. Like it, it, it will, it will end. And so it's important not to rest in your laurels and, and not to assume that something cool you do is going to be yours forever. Um, so maybe that's doing cooler things. Maybe that's finding other ways to remain competitive, you know, in, in the future. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind that, you know, when you're, when you're deciding what to do, when you're planning out your app, when you are, uh, trying to allocate time, keep in mind, again, the value of these features will not last forever. So let that inform how much time that you allocate to them. Anyway, we are brought to you this week by Squarespace. Enter offer code RADAR at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and much more. Whether you want to create an online store or a portfolio site or a blog or even a podcast, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do any of those things or all of those things. There's nothing to install, no patches or updates to worry about, no upgrades to do. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has it covered. And if there's anything that you need help with or if anything goes wrong, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name when you're getting started. And all of these award-winning templates they have are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. And you can customize the template to your heart's content really make it yours. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. And you can start a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you sign up, make sure to use the offer code RADAR to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Under the Radar. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So now that you've decided that you're going to go down the road of doing some kind of an an original research project to like add a new feature to your app, uh, I was thinking, how do you... A, it's like, it's like there's lots of different approaches I think you can take to something like that. And uh, one thing that I wanted to start off talking about is how uh, when I do these types of things, I always take a very, I guess you'd call it the empirical approach rather than the theoretical approach that I try and just, you know, I, I get in there and I just start to build things. I try a lot of things and just experiment. Um, I just try and generate a lot of data as best I can and then you know, run, you know, th- run, run, you know, test it, test, you know, test cases through my system, whatever it may be. Um, because I find that I'm just not very academic and I used to, I think earlier in my career, be intimidated by, by the fact that I just wasn't particularly academic in that way, that I'm not coming at it from a, you know, a theoretical approach that I'm then trying to work out how to implement. 
I, in many ways, I start with implementations. I start with just like, well, let me see if this works. Well, let me see if this works. And I, in theory, a theoretical approach would help you get to the right solution uh, more directly, or at least in a more straightforward way. But um, I would encourage anybody who's doesn't ha- who's slightly intimidated by um, the feeling that, oh man, it's like this needs to be super theoretical. It's like, maybe, you know, depending on what you're working on, but often a more direct empirical, just like kind of work, do your, do your best approach will often get there. Um, and in my experience, you know, gets, gets you there well enough and can, you know, let, allow you to create these features without needing a lot of theoretical knowledge, without a lot of deep and potentially like the deep understanding. You may not understand exactly why, um, you know, a particular method is working, but it can work for you. And, you know, you could argue whether that's good or not, but I found it to work well. So, you know, just an encouragement is don't be, don't be too scared of, um, things if you can just sort of approach them more directly. Yeah, I, I too am pretty weak on the academic side. Um, I'm especially weak in in the advanced math, really, like things like, you know, calculus, I really never took or, well, I took it but failed it. Um, you know, most of the advanced like linear algebra stuff, I, I have a very, very weak understanding of really almost all advanced math. I, I really just either never took in college and just never learned it afterwards or I, I took it and took it so poorly that I really just know nothing about it. Um, so whenever I'm like looking up online, looking up some kind of algorithm and you, and I start to see the mathematic notation, I'm just like, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm probably not going to figure this out. And sometimes I try and plow through and the simpler ones I can, I can kind of work out like the pseudocode of how to do in my language that I know what they are trying to tell me how to do. <laughs> but like, you know, once something comes to like, oh, you have to read these academic papers to understand how to do this algorithm or something. That's usually when I bail out uh, because I try sometimes, but it's it, I can't usually get through them. And so what I do with with a lot of my approaches to like these hard you know math or data problems is really fairly simple things like I I'm pretty good at coming up with. Just off, the top of my, just off the top of my head, coming up with some kind of heuristic of like, oh, maybe if I, you know, look for this pattern and I give it this some kind of like weight uh, in a scoring, you know, algorithm that maybe this will be better. And sometimes that works. Most of the time it doesn't. But occasionally I get something out of it that that is pretty useful. And, and that's that's how I tend to do the, these kind of things. Um, it's It's basically like trial and error to develop some kind of heuristic or algorithm that is really not a very mathematically advanced algorithm. It's really just like, you know, large amounts of dumb math, <laughs> large amounts of like basic arithmetic <laughs> that I can do. Uh, but it, like, you don't need necessarily an advanced uh, knowledge of, you know, sophisticated math and, you know, the more advanced uh, stuff. That being said, I do think my lack of knowledge there holds me back to some degree. Like there's a lot of, you know, statistical methods, things like, you know, especially when, when dealing with things like large data sets, dealing with you know, things like data clustering and, and you know, statistical analysis of large pools of data. I basically don't understand any of that. And that is holding me back to, to some degree. So I do want to want to get better at some of that stuff. But ultimately, you don't necessarily need to if you if you can't or don't want to, like you can get pretty far without the knowledge of some of that advanced math stuff. Yeah, and and the thing that's key there is that you can, your solution may not be optimal, but you may get a solution. Um, I mean, it's sort of in, in a weird way. It makes me think of how, like, if you don't, if you didn't understand what multiplication was, but you knew how to do addition, 
you could still end up with the same result. <laughs> You're by just a for loop that <laughs> just adds it a bunch of times. <laughs> sure, right? Like, which is obviously kind of like a, a trivial example of this, but that is often, I think, the approach that the impression that I have is that often my approach is repeated addition rather than multiplication because I don't understand the higher concept. But you don't get a like, like I still end up with twenty with four, you know, four times five. I just may even the fact that I add five to itself four times versus just being able to do it directly with multiplication. That's less efficient, but it, this, the answer is the same. It's still 20. And, and like computers are so fast, even on our phones and our watches, like microprocessors these days are just so ridiculously fast that for a lot of problems like this, even if you just have kind of like a brute force solution or even if it's like an imprecise solution, that is probably both fast enough and good enough for a lot of times. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's, 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 which is an encouragement that it's like, yeah, it's like you, you, it's okay. And that's like, that's fine. And it's, you know, as with any, a lot of these kind of discussions, you can get into like, is it, well, well, is it certainly better? Or is it more efficient to have the, to have a more theoretical approach or fundamental understanding? Of course. But, you know, if, if it, in order to gain that level of understanding, you almost certainly have to be, um, spend a lot more time and you know like like to become an expert in that area is going to take a lot of time and be a lot of distractions away from other things so it may not be worth getting that level of understanding so you know just worth worth keeping in mind yeah definitely um in terms of the actual building of these things uh, i think it seemed worth actually sort of diving into the way that the approach that i've taken like i'll talk to um my recent example with automatic sleep tracking um where so you know, I'm going to add this to an app. My usual approach is to create a completely separate app. Um, I've tried, and then eventually it'll end up being a branch uh, in the main app. But usually, I just create a completely uh, new app that has none of the overhead, none of the other things going on. And mostly, I do that because then I can just kind of, if it goes, if I go down, if I, if I go down a bad line of thinking and it just ends up in a dead end, I can just throw it away and start again. And it's it's easier, I find, for me to just kind of have the super focused, lightweight app. You know, I don't need to go to a particular place in the app. Like, often I end up doing stuff just in the, you know, view to finish launching. Like, it's basically a command line app just running on an iPhone. Like, I you end up doing that kind of thing where uh, you make it as quick and as simple as possible, and it's focused in on exactly what the problem is. Uh, I find that to be a very helpful approach. I tend to do my work there to validate that the, the you know that something is possible, um, and then I'll start to work on how will I take that and turn it into the you know the final version. And that first version, I have no consideration at all to code quality. Often I will completely throw that code away. I will just repeat. You know I will end up re-implementing it, just using all the lessons I learned. Uh, from all of that throwaway code. But by taking such a quick and dirty approach to it, um, it means that I can work much more quickly and iterate on it that I don't need to feel like, you know, I'm writing code that is going to end up needing to be production quality. You know, I can ignore all the errors. I can just sort of make it so that it just works on exactly what I'm trying to do. You know, and so in this case, I have had a a, built separate app that, you know, tried to automatically detect and analyze... um, you know, sleep, uh, sleep, sleep data out of uh, all the various health inputs that we have. And I just sat there and iterated on that until I got it to work. And then now I'm going through the process of actually, you know, turning that understanding and the data that I can get out of that, you know, completely re-implemented from, 
from scratch that all those algorithms and methods that I came up with uh, again. In this case, it was actually slightly amusing because I built my prototype app in Swift, and then my Swift C++ is an Objective-C app, and so I was uh, I. I was going to re-implement it anyway, and it actually kind of worked well to keep me from being lazy and just copy-pasting things that I actually went through and had to be thoughtful um, in that translation from the prototype app to the actual app to make sure that I'm actually taking care of all the edge cases and things. But um, that's an approach that I find works pretty well. Um, And then once you can get it into the app, then you can actually start, you know, you start start working through the actual, um, you know, making it of a higher quality. But I find, you know, doing it and developing and prototyping in a separate app and then then moving in once you kind of have the basics worked out um, works pretty well for me. So I'm I'm curious, you know, because I think it goes back to our, our like, you know, competitive advantage argument earlier. Why are you adding this feature? Um, mostly because uh, I think it makes the app better, and I think I wish I I wish I did it. And I know I often hear from people who use my competitor's app because they do it, um, and so and it turned out to be much easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, I had in my mind that it was going to be really hard, and so I'd been putting off working on it, and I. Because I have a lot of existing sleep data calculated my old method, um, I was able to much more quickly, I think, work out and work out a way to process all this data um, and end up with very similar results because I could just kind of try lots of things and I could very quickly see if it worked or worked or wasn't going to work. Um, and I think it'll, you know, it's, it's a competitive advantage. And I know it's a feature that I will use myself. Uh, you know, the ability to have your Apple Watch just track your sleep without all you have to do is wear it while you sleep and then it's all taken care of and so i think it's an advantage in that regard because you'll actually use the app more um because right now you have to remember to use it which is is always difficult yeah and that that makes a lot of sense like that that obviously is a compelling feature and and, you know i've heard podcasts where people talk about how you know they're comparing your app to one of the competitors that does automatic stuff and like and i thought oh that sounds compelling but you know i too would have assumed that was really hard and that's also kind of you know another i think maybe a good closing note here is like a lot of the like, if you're a developer and and you think of or you see some other app that that you know or, or you know or you think of a feature that you want to do that sounds really hard or impossible, try it because it might not be. Like I I first thought that you know like that doing pagination in Instapaper would be really hard, and it turned out it really wasn't. Um, similar like if you think like oh you know I I would love to do this kind of analysis on you know some feature in in with but with data but. The iPhone probably can't handle it. It's probably like you know too much, too computationally intensive. Try it because it might not be. That's another area where I've found like I always assume that oh maybe I I probably can't do things like run a live FFT on the audio stream without having a big battery impact. And the answer a lot of times is nope. You totally can. It's totally fine. Like, the devices are really fast these days. Yeah, and it's just kind of a nice thing to be yeah, like there is something just really fun and encouraging when you hit on something that you thought would be really hard that actually turned out to not be crazy hard and like that was a really fun thing and it speaks to actually the last thing that i want to mention too is i've found tremendously valuable as quickly as i can working out how to visualize the problem that i'm working on in a way that i can see rather than just like data that's you know being ns logged out to the console that's a good tip you know, so in a lot in like in a lot of my apps like in this in this case with 
you know, sleep tracking, there's a lot, it's essentially, it's very timeline based, you know, I'm looking at a variety of inputs over time. And so I just have a really simple app or a, a view controller that just has a, has a scroll view in it. And all of the data points that I have on it, I just create a UI view and I throw it into it, which is horrifically, you know, unperformant. I have like 10,000 UI views in one scroll view, but <laughs> it's fine. That's like, awesome. <laughs> it, there's better ways to do graphing, you know, and like actually doing pagination and stuff. So I'm only rendering the stuff that I need to, but like, it's fine. It's in this prototype app, but visualizing it, making it so that I can see the connections. And like in this case, it was, you know, I ended up visualizing the outputs of my first first couple of attempts and aligning them with the outputs of my previous method. And they lined up perfectly. And I was like, well, this works. Well, that's amazing. Um, and so visualizing that as quickly as you can, um, is just something that I can't em- emphasize enough that and I know you. You know, this is something I think I saw you were talking about with your your voice boost two stuff. You do the same thing, but like as soon as you can see it, it's both motiv- motivating in terms of encouraging you that you're on the right track, as well as you know very quickly showing you um, the areas that aren't working and the things you need to change. Exactly, it makes a huge difference. Um, yeah, but anyway, so go forth, do some original research, try and. Um, you know, not be intimidated by things that you think are too hard and see, you know, see what you can come up with. Because I think if you can come up with these things, like, and it turns out that they're easier than you thought, maybe like you can make it, you can create, it, it creates a tremendous value in your app that I think, um, you know, as, especially if you, as a smaller team or as, as a smaller developer, there is a tremendous advantage to having these little things um, that are hooks, that are marketing lines, that um, are reasons why someone might want to try your app um, versus something else. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.